I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. A brief list of some of the largest LGBT events in the world. Sao Paulo, Brazil, has South America's largest Pride Festival. They made the Guinness Book of World Records for the first time in 2006, with a turnout of 2.5 million people. New York City Pride Festival, when they hosted World Pride in 2019, there were 5 million people there. Some of the most spectacular Pride festivals around the world are Madrid's, Toronto's, and Amsterdam's, which, of course, sends their parade floating down a canal. But bigger doesn't necessarily mean more important. Sometimes it's the LGBT events that struggle to lift off that have the loudest echoes. Like in Doc Project producer Kevin Ball's hometown of Kelowna, British Columbia. I'm old enough to remember when Walter Gray, the city's mayor, refused to sign a proclamation declaring pride. And I'm not that old. This was 1997. He was rebuked by the BC Human Rights Commission, but still fighting for the right not to issue a pride proclamation a few years later, when he argued this. Next time the complaint may not be by the uh, gay and lesbian community. The complaint could be by the Aryan Nation community. And uh, would I therefore be discriminating against those people that said, you know, it's Hitler Day and we celebrate, uh, you know, Hitler as a great person in history. Eventually, Mayor Gray came around. In 2012, he eagerly delivered that year's Pride proclamation. And he said that, quote, society had grown up. A lot has changed over the past two decades. Kelowna is now on the map as a so-called destination pride, attracting tourists from around the world. But when it comes to the LGBTQ community, the city is still going through some growing pains. Emphasis on pains. And it all reached a tipping point last year, not at a parade, but at, of all places, the downtown public library. I'm Macy Rowe, and this is The Doc Project. Today's story, it's not exactly a fairy tale, but it does have a queen, a couple, actually, and a king, too, princesses, superheroes, and a battle. At the heart of the story are two everyday townsfolk, Ashley and Chris, who, if this were a fairy tale, would be known as the keepers of stories. Ashley Machem and Chris Stevenson are librarians, and last year, they were planning an event at the Kelowna Public Library that would either bring the city together or tear it apart. I remember at the beginning of September, I was like, okay, we're going to do this. And we had both agreed on it. And we decided to post it on our Facebook as an event. Hi, my name is Ashley Makeham. I was the youth services librarian at the downtown Kelowna branch of the Okanagan Regional Library. The event that Ashley had just posted to Facebook was for a drag queen story time. Drag queens, all dressed up, reading stories to children at the library. 
This was an event that would unleash an ideological tempest on the city of Kelowna, engulfing librarians, activists, parents, and politicians. A pitched battle to define what is the role of a library, who is it for, and who gets to decide. Doc Project producer Kevin Ball will take it from here. It all began months before, in June 2019, as school was winding up for summer. Well, it was a chance encounter, actually. I was out doing my regular summer reading club promotion, which happens annually. I go out and visit the schools and do classroom visits and promote the library and summer reading club and try and get kids into the library. And at the conclusion of one of my class visits, an educational assistant came up and said, have you ever considered doing drag story time at the library? And it had been something that other people had asked me about. But at the time, I had never met anyone in the Okanagan um, who did drag story time. And so I delivered my line of, well, I just don't know anybody who does drag. And this educational assistant said, oh, hey, just so you know, I'm a drag queen. I do story time. (laughs) Hi, I'm Tyson Cook. By day, I'm a CEA, so a certified education assistant. So working with kids that are special needs. So that was how I met Miss Frida Wales, the Okanagan Orca and the Queen of the Seas of Kelowna. (laughs) Frida is definitely an all-ages performer. She's just a good time. What does Frida look like? I think she looks pretty cute. Uh, She's usually a blonde and pretty much always in a dress or a pantsuit. She likes a good power pantsuit. (laughs) Our our natural hair as drag queens changes color quite often. I've got a couple purple, pink, and like bluey kind of wigs. I like kind of fun colors, more bright and poppy kind of colors. And how does Frida differ from Tyson? Not too, too much, but definitely a lot louder. <laughs> definitely more of an attention stealer. And yeah, she just loves to make people smile and laugh. <laughs> and so Ashley had met a drag queen, Miss Frida Wales. The next step was to persuade her boss that hosting a drag story time was a good idea. I remember the conversation very clearly at the youth services desk. Hi, I'm Chris Stevenson. Chris is the head librarian at the downtown Kelowna branch of the library. Ashley said, um, you know, I've been thinking about this idea for some time. I think the timing is right. It's definitely been done in bigger urban settings. It's been done in libraries across the United States. I believe the movement started in um, San Francisco. It's happened in Brooklyn libraries in New York and uh, across Canada. I think Australia had some as well. A drag story time is just like any other story time with a little bit of extra fun. Yeah, really anything to get, uh, like hook people who may not have considered the library recently. It's certainly fresh, engaging, and it's a no-brainer that kids and their families uh, really love this stuff. I mean, look at Mr. Dressup, for example. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. How are you today, Mrs. I'm very well, thank you. We all grew up with a tickle trunk, and, or at least I did. Oh, I want you to take these bubbles. In this episode from 1983, Casey, the young boy puppet, has chosen to dress up as a lady in a fancy hat that he dug out of the illustrious tickle trunk. One, two, three, four. She's depositing some marbles in her bank account. Oh, fine. I'll put that right in your little purse here. Oh, thank you. There you are. 
Ma'am? What a lovely day it is. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Clearly, Mr. Dressup did not have an issue with Casey dressing up as a woman during playtime. But that's not the same as a grown adult, a drag queen, telling stories to kids. So I had a question for Tyson Cook, a.k.a. Miss Frida Wales. So yeah, so I guess in general, what do you say to people who who say drag story hours infringe on the innocence of childhood that they're they're showcasing an aspect of sexuality by putting it on display? I would just say, look at the entertainer that's being hired. I am not a sexual drag queen. I mean, if they've been to any sort of theater production or watched Looney Tunes or Bugs Bunny, they've been exposed to drag queens their entire life. Oh, you can. You villain. You peeping Tom. Can't a girl have any privacy from prying eyes? You beast. But was Kelowna ready for Drag Story Hour at the library? I said yes. I think our community is definitely ready for it. And Chris definitely said there could be some people who aren't in support of this, but I'm here for you. It really came down to just expecting some pushback. We didn't know what that would look like. We didn't know, you know, who would even notice our advertising. It's very much through word of mouth, posters, and uh, through the website and social media. And so it was decided. In just a few weeks, Miss Frida Wales would preside as Queen of Storytime. It's a story time with somebody who's celebrating being different, and this was going to be a fun event, all ages, family-friendly event that celebrates getting dressed up and however anybody wants to express themselves. Any story time, let alone one fit for a queen, doesn't just happen. Ashley and Frida understood that it takes knowing how to play to your audience and practice, practice, practice. I wasn't a big reader as a kid. Reading to me was not a lot of fun because I would lose where I was and I'd have to jump around and I'd be like, what am I even reading anymore? I don't even know. So it's kind of nice to be able to bring that to kids now that I can read a little better. I think one of the best things that Tyson had going for him was that he worked with a school already and worked with children already and had that connection and knew how to uh, have an audience, but a young audience. That's always uh, something that's in the back of my mind, even when we have an author visit. Is this author able to deal with a room full of three to six-year-olds and all the unpredictable things that can come with that? Me and the classroom teacher actually have a morning story we usually do, and we we act up quite a bit. We play the characters really well there. Usually we find some books that have some pretty funny characters, like uh, Piggy and Elephant. Um, I'm always the pig one, and she's like a princess, and she's hilarious. And she's really dramatic and yells, and Elephant's always there to figure it out. So So in my mind, that was a checkmark of, yes, we can do this. Like, he's got the capability of dealing with an audience as well as a young audience. So I started looking at books that we could possibly feature during Drag Story Time as well. I brought in probably hundreds of picture books prior to anything starting, and I read every single one. We had to kind of develop which books we were going to read, when we would take the breaks for what songs, picking the songs. Just because I know working with kids, the kids can't sit through two stories back to back. They need to have some movement activity in between. So Frida Wales planned to bring a special guest along, a sister queen. Miss Valerie Rose. Yeah, she's a lovely, very dancey queen. She can dance anyone's boots off. 
Um, and yeah, she's just super pretty, just like me. <laughs> So we start putting the word out because word of mouth is really quite powerful. Social media kind of takes on a life of its own, so we monitor that and answer questions and pay attention to the comments that are coming in. We started to receive some comments through our contact us form at the library. I'd say like the week leading up to it, we started to hear a little bit more for sure. Some comments referred to drag as being grooming for pedophilia, that the library is not a place for this sort of person, that kind of thing. There was a, another theme about, you know, I don't want my taxes going to support a drag queen in the library because that's not what I believe in. Well, you know, the tax base is composed of a diversity of families. Um, and, you know, LGBTQ plus families who live in every community are also paying taxes and maybe they want to see this program. You know, it's not like we were even paying Frida Wales for, for the work uh, she was doing. I'm actually volunteering. This is all on my own time. But it wasn't just emails. There was one gentleman who came into the library with their child and I hadn't been prepared I had gone up to him because I noticed he was looking at the poster and I said, yeah, like this is an upcoming program. And then that's when he turned and I could see that he was not happy about it. I got a call in my office to come down and would you mind um, talking to this uh, father who's here? He's quite upset about what we're doing. Um, it was Ashley. I said, absolutely, I'll be right down. And he had his daughter there with him. She would probably be three, two or three maybe, but perceptive and noticing that her father was quite upset. And so I, uh, I kind of winked at Ashley and she started playing with, with the child and just kind of occupied her uh, so that we could have a conversation, the father and I. And Chris sat down with this father and had a chat, like, what are your feelings? This, these are the library's policies. This is why we're doing it. And I don't think we're going to change your mind. But here we are. It turned out to be more of a, a debate about our choices and judgment. And he asked me, you know, if drag queens, then what else? Would you have strippers come to the library? And I said, well, no, that would be inappropriate. And then they asked me if I thought drag queens were, were appropriate. And uh I really struggled to understand um, when we knew that it's a child-friendly program and that it's about reading a story to children. Um, and, and the fact is that it was very much in line with what we already do in, in regular story time. Obviously, they were concerned for their family. And I said, well, it sounds like this might not be the program for your family. Um, but when we got down to it, they didn't think this was a good program for anyone in our community. And I, there I had to disagree because, you know, there may be a book on the shelf that that person doesn't like, but another person may need. So I can't be a censor in that sense. And by that time, we also had a lot of calls and cheers for like, this is great. We can't wait. Our family's super excited. Our, our son has already got his you know clothes picked out for the event. And so in the end, I just said, you know, would you do me a favor and maybe leave your family at home, but would you come? I would really love to see you there and, you know, bring a friend or whatever. And at least before you criticize uh, or at least before you try to, sh to shoot it down uh, by calling a board member, perhaps like just try it 
you know, just show up. I woke up and was kind of raring to go and get to the library. September 14th, 2019, the big day. I think I was there by 7.30, and I just started clearing furniture. I was like, we are going to be as ready as possible. I wasn't sure at all what the turnout was going to be like. I was super nervous. Um, By then, we'd gotten hundreds of comments. We'd read them all. Story time was scheduled for 11, and there was still no protesters. At 10 a.m., that's when the doors open, and there was a group of people outside the door. And we were kind of standing there waiting to see, like, what's going to happen. And you know what? We opened the doors, and they were all genealogists. They weren't protesters. And they all came in and dispersed and went up to the genealogy collection and started their research. (laughs) There was nobody there yet for story time. So that's when I started to stress a little bit that, oh my gosh, nobody's going to show up, and this is going to be a flop, and... The naysayers might be right that Kelowna's not ready for this. But Kelowna is also famous for people arriving last minute or late. It started out slowly, a trickle, a trickle, a trickle. And I would say by 10.30, that's when Tyson arrived, or I should say Miss Frida Wales, because the the costume was on. (laughs) Yeah, so I remember coming through the doors. I was wearing my blue wig with my little unicorn pony dress. And we uh, finished setting up and the crowd grew and grew. It started to get busier and busier. They kept coming and coming and we heard there's a parkade across from the library for people to park in. And people were going around and around and around just looking for parking. And so we had little activities out for kids to do while they were waiting for story time to start. We had a big handprint banner that said we heart dqst for drag queen story time and people were adding their handprints and talking about how excited they were kids were in costume even adults parents of older kids or older adults were coming in support because they wished that there had been something like this for their family when they were younger Uh, so that was amazing like even just the start you could feel the energy building Kristen Thompson was there with her husband and two daughters, then six and four. Most kids were dressed up either in sort of like tickle trunk type costumes or sort of tiaras and dresses, and a lot of kids were dressed in superhero. An astronaut, a princess, a cowboy, and there was a couple others kind of scattered throughout, but there was just so many kids I couldn't even see them all. (laughs) Watching my kids watch this amazing drag queen walk through the library. Their eyes were so big, but they they loved it so much. Cynthia Gunsinger came with her husband and two and a half year old. This was the most attended event at the library that I have ever seen and I think that they've ever had. We were expecting maybe 30 to 50 kind of people and then they started like going up the staircase and all in the top and the rafters and everything to watch. And it was just really jaw-dropping to be honest I was yeah I was quite surprised to see how fast it filled up in there they were lining the second floor looking down into the children's area they were hiding in between the um, bookshelves we had to actually move everything back because when we started to see how many people were coming in it was a different story altogether I have two kids myself my daughter dressed up she could not wait to wear her princess dress out of the house crown wand 
everything all, it was a dream come true for her. Frida's special guest, Queen Valerie Rose, also came dressed as a princess. Yes, yes, Valerie's there in a super long pink dress and the kids were all enthralled with it. When she spun, it twirled out like a princess. We came out and the crowd went wild. <laughs> Ashley introduced us. We started off with a song. The perennial classic, Baby Shark. Just kind of welcome everyone, and then I read the first story. Not quite narwhal. About a little guy named Kelp, who grows up surrounded by narwhals under the sea, only to discover he's actually a unicorn. And then we did another song. Miss Frida Wales did a lip sync to Baby Beluga. Which was perfect. And then Valerie read a story. Giraffes can't dance. It was about a giraffe who couldn't dance very well and people made fun of him, but he still loved dancing. So it was just about, even though you can't dance that great, to just still enjoy it, like me. <laughs> and so these books were really about celebrating individuality, being okay with who you are, accepting of others. That was really the theme of this story time. And then we also did some rainbow scarf dances at the end of the story time after both stories were done. Who's ready to make a craft? And then we did a craft at the end with pictures and questions. And all told, I think it was 162 people showed up for our first ever drag story time. And it was one of the two most successful story times in library history in any of our branches very much on par with our magician shows or the Bubble Man. Among those 162 people was at least one person Chris had not expected to see. The concerned dad he'd spoken to earlier. He did. He brought his brother-in-law, I think, and he didn't have too much to say, but he did say, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And, you know, I, I didn't say I got you there, but uh, I was pleased that, you know, he showed up because that's what this is about for me. There was zero backlash, zero protesters, zero negative comments at the event. It was overwhelmingly positive and just a community coming together and showing love. Like, my heart could have exploded that day. AC here. Coming up, the first rumblings that maybe everything wasn't entirely well. Rumblings that weren't just coming from outside the library, but within. I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretab. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretab. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. We started to hear uh, from the management team and uh, initially um, my supervisor, area supervisor, had asked why I hadn't given more notice and I, I 
just said basically, you know, we run so many hundreds of programs. It's just, it didn't occur to me that we should report on the next great thing we're doing. And then everyone got a memo. The memo. The memo. The memo was emailed to all library staff and board members. It was also posted publicly on the ORL's website. So I looked at it. I read it through and alarm bells were going off instantly. The memo had been written by the board's chief executive officer, Don Nettleton. Whereas library trustees are elected officials, the CEO is appointed by the board, and the board is tasked primarily with developing policy, which does not normally extend to overseeing programming. But as Chris puts it, Don Nettleton's memo was a call to perhaps reinvestigate the policy around children's programming and suggested that perhaps there should be some controls on the scope of what what occurs in the children's department, essentially um, critiquing very much the professional uh, librarians who operate in in that capacity. Their judgment. Mm -hmm. Judgment, for example, um, or even just the range of what is, I believe the word was controversial. We don't want to have controversial programming. Hi, you've reached the uh, voicemail message to Don Nettleton. I'm not in the office right now to take your call. Please leave a message. I'll try and get back to you as soon as I can. Thank you. Have a great day. Hi, Mr. Nettleton. My name is Kevin Ball. I'm calling from CBC Radio in Toronto. Uh, it's Friday, September the 25th. Um, I sent you an email about a month ago. I reached out to Don Nettleton several times for this documentary. Oh, hi. I'm, I'm uh, trying to reach Don Nettleton. Is he in? By phone and over email. Um, I'm not sure if he's in. I can try his extension. Yeah, sorry. I thought I had just tried that, but never got a reply. Oh, yeah, not a problem. Thank you. Hi, Mr. Nettleton, it's Kevin Ball calling back from... But the memo is public record. Here's how it reads, in part. A controversial and potentially very divisive storytime program has arisen within the ORL. In the past week, the management team was made aware that the Kelowna Downtown Library has opted to offer Drag It Queen storytelling on two Saturdays this fall, September 14th and November 16th. Drag Queen Storytime originated in the U.S. and is moving into some Canadian libraries as well, pushing the boundaries of what was traditionally accepted in North American society. The announced program, while claiming to be promoting diversity and acceptance, will be offensive to a significant segment of our society. We may reposition ourselves away from being an accepted, middle-of-the-road, non-controversial, neutral and safe environment for children's programming in the minds of many, We currently enjoy strong support from throughout the community. Surveys tend to position the library as one of the most supported public bodies and one which people strongly support funding in our communities. This type of children's programming may very well decrease this broad support. Don Nettleton made the following recommendation to the board. Quote, That the board consider providing broad policy direction to staff for children's programming while still allowing staff significant leeway for interpretation and ability to evolve as society and technology and other things change over time. This would provide direction for all children's programming going forward. I can't speak for everyone, but it felt 
sort of more like censorship and uh, contrary to what we do as librarians. We don't tell you what to read and we certainly don't tell you what programs to choose for your family. The concern was that programs that were potentially divisive or offensive to a segment of the population shouldn't happen in the library. And that the library should maintain a neutral, middle-of-the-road, safe space and not offend anybody. Is that your understanding of what a library should be? No. (laughs) Don Nettleton is not a professional librarian. He's an accountant. So what should a library be then? Well, libraries are about information and access to information. And there are many different ways that information is presented from different viewpoints, different communities, different cultures, different people. And everybody has their own right, intellectual freedom to their own beliefs. The library does not represent a singular belief. The library hopes to represent all beliefs and provide that information to a community or to those individuals who are searching and looking for that information. And what role should a librarian play? I've always seen myself like someone operating a a turnstile and making sure it's well lubricated so that just people are just coming in and, and getting what they need and enjoying themselves. And I think the role of a librarian is always changing because uh, the very fabric of our society, our community, uh, is changing. In fact, what happens at our branch might not work in Salmon Arm or Princeton or Golden, B.C. We very much need to, on a branch-by-branch basis, get to know our community and have some heart to believe that what we're going to do is is going to work. And it doesn't always work. Like some Sometimes we have to scrap something and start over. Um, The choices that we make are ultimately rooted in the best evidence and data that we have at any given time. And so it's about providing access. It's about providing opportunities, uh, new ways of seeing the world, ways of supporting people, having the resources to back up our program. So this isn't just something that we ran. It's such an interesting time that we chose to do it. Uh, A time when we were having in the library world discussions about debating how library space can or should be used. Freedom, of course, is part and parcel of our profession, but we're also doing this during a time when society appears to be getting more polarized politically. So nothing happens by accident. Like We have our fingers on the pulse of our community. We pick up an idea, we run with it, and we launch something new and fresh. And, um, and in this case, it happened to be drag story time. When Don Nettleton sent off that memo in response to Drag Storytime, he set off a chain of events. Another librarian within our union contacted our labor relations officer, and then that's kind of when everything went into overdrive. So now it was out of Ashley and Chris's hands. It was up to the board to decide whether or not the librarians could be trusted with programming in their branches. Enter Loyal Woldridge. I'm a city councillor in Kelowna, and I'm also a trustee on the Okanagan Regional Library Board. Drag Story Hour had already been on Loyal's radar for a while. He'd been taking note of the feedback on Facebook. 
it, it was something that as a trustee, I felt we needed to address. And that was before this infamous memo came out. And actually within minutes of it being released publicly, which is the exact same time that we receive it as trustees, um, that's when my email box started to fill up and, and private messages started to come in uh, with concerned citizens about the languaging in the memo. So I was in a very long council day that Monday and this memo had come out and I got home late that night uh, with my husband Ian and I pulled it up and I was like, wow, this is really inflammatory language that's being used. Um, I had no idea that it would erupt into um, such the challenge that it did, um, but that's the path that, that those words took. I think that whenever something directly and negatively paints your identity with a brush that is quite inflammatory, such as those words that were written, um, you do you do take it personally. So my plan heading in was to honestly just share my personal story with the board because I'm I'm the only person that is openly gay. And so I just shared my personal story of, of growing up in a, in a household where discussions about LGBTQ plus lifestyle wasn't really acceptable and there was often a lot of derogatory terms used around the dinner table. School was really challenging. Every day was kind of a battlefield for me, especially through middle school. And um, hallways were kind of that battleground. And so I often found solace in libraries, coincidentally, where it was a safe space to learn and to be around like-minded people. In my grade 12 year, I ended up being the only out LGBTQ plus person in the school. So I became a peer counselor and I kind of almost specialized supporting folks um, and fellow students that were identifying. And um, that, again, propelled me forward, but I was able to use those past experiences as fuel to, um, to support other people. So it was an early on commitment that I made to myself to continue these conversations, these tough conversations, to ensure that future generations and folks that are marginalized don't feel that same way. So in many ways, Loyal had been prepping for years for this moment before the board. The chance to impress on his peers the importance of programs like Drag Storytime. But that's not to say he was confident it would be easy. I was, of course, expecting that there would be some pushback from some board members. But my heart was full when one of the board members was asked to speak and he actually said, you know what, I'm going to defer to Loyal. I think he needs to open this conversation because he would bring more lived experience to the table than me. Loyal told his story. The board listened and began to deliberate on the future of its relationship to the regional branches. Meanwhile, the buzz was still happening and calls and emails were still coming in. Head librarian Chris Stevenson. It went from a trickle to a full-fledged open faucet at one point. All told, the board received nearly 500 pages worth of correspondence for and against Drag Storytime. To Mr. Nettleton, it has come to my attention that the public libraries are now hosting Drag Queen Storytimes. 
As a mother of four children, I take my children to the library, and it would be shocking, to say the least, for me, and especially my children, to come across one of those story times led by drag queens. Back in the early 90s, I didn't know anything about sexual orientation or gender identity. And I certainly didn't know what a drag queen was when Miss Doubtfire came out. I didn't bat an eye. I was five at the time. I just loved it. Men dressed in women's clothing has been a staple of acting for a long time indeed, since Shakespeare's day. To Mr. Nettleton, I am opposed and appalled by the recent drag queen story time held at the Kelowna Library. Does diversity include strippers strutting their stuff while reading stories to impressionable young children? KKK, drug addicts and alcoholics are also part of our diverse community. Yes, we care about all people, but some behaviours and actions are not appropriate or acceptable to be hosted by the public library. To whom it may concern, I usually do not get involved in political issues such as this, but I just wanted to share that those that are opposed to the drag queen story time are not bigots. I, for one, am respectful of everyone. We are deeply distressed to hear that the library may no longer be a safe environment for us to walk into on any given day. As a young father and Kelowna born and raised citizen, I believe it is extremely important that we foster a community where our children are able to see that they are loved and respected, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation. There is no right from wrong. Would we bring the drug addict, the murderer, the thief, into flaunt their lives before our children? I want my son to grow up in a community where he feels loved and respected and has the opportunity to engage with people from all walks of life. Please rethink what you call diversity and how it may affect vulnerable children. This became a professional librarian issue. The presentation to the board brought the issue beyond Chris and I. It also expanded beyond the Okanagan. We started getting attention from the British Columbia Library Association, as well as Canadian urban libraries and librarians across Canada. And the responses were amazing. Like, they took the memo to task. Meanwhile, back at the board... Loyal Wooldridge was busy speaking up for the librarians. We're a table of politicians, and politicians develop policy, not programming. Is this a policy that we need to enact to control the type of programming in our libraries? Or is that a professional autonomy of professionals that we employ that know their communities best? And then the second issue to address, we have obviously LGBTQ plus people working in the organization as librarians or support workers that were deeply hurt by these words. And those were brought forward to me in private. Um, so from an HR perspective, we were also facing the challenge of having to address um, bullying and harassment in the workplace. So the policy committee met two or three times between September and November to review different positions on this. At the library, the emails and comments continued to pour in with the same intensity. But now something was shifting, and Ashley and Chris could sense it. All of a sudden, we started getting the personal stories. We started hearing from people who had attended and what it meant to them. We heard from people who hadn't attended but wish they could have been there or wish when they were younger there had been something like this for them. We heard from professional caseworkers. We heard from educators. We heard from other librarians. We heard from parents. We heard from early childhood educators. And that's when 
I did understand the importance of what we were doing, or I was reconfirmed of the importance of what we're doing. My family attended Drag Queen Storytime on the weekend. I am writing in support of Drag Queen Storytime, which we attended as a family last week and very much enjoyed. The event reinforced to my own children that the library is a place of inclusion and creativity and that everybody is celebrated within its walls. I read the memorandum written regarding this supposedly divisive event by your CEO, Don Nettleton, and it turned my stomach. That the future of Drag Queen Storytime is now up for debate because some people in our community are offended by drag queens is absurd to the me. The misinformation and fear-mongering came through loud and clear, and it read like a 1980s anti-gay propaganda piece. If you end this programming, you send a message to children that the stories they heard on Saturday were merely fairy tales, that it's only okay to be true to yourself if you are exactly like everybody else. We had the confidence that we were true to library values and the values and mission that our library system has, that it would work out all right. And so that's what we had going into number two. Number two. Ashley and Chris had scheduled two drag story times, the one that had already taken place in September and another coming up in November. In the original memo, the last sentence of it said that the drag queen story time scheduled on November 16th can proceed because it's already been advertised. The program for November that has already been announced for Kelowna would still proceed as planned and publicized. So we knew that we could do it. And so that also meant that we were going for broke. Like, (laughs) we had that plan down. We had rehearsals. We stepped it up because we knew all eyes were on us. And we knew that we were going to have a bigger crowd of people in favor potentially a crowd of people not in favor, um, and lots of kids. Yes, we wanted to show the naysayers, and yes, we wanted to show the best program that we possibly could, but really it was about the kids. And about who would get to decide the future of programming at the libraries. It wasn't just the public they needed to impress. If the second Drag Story Hour was a hit, it would showcase that decisions about library programming were already in the right hands. The librarians. Ashley and Frida got straight to work, building on the success of their first event. Similar format, we always start off with a song and then a story and then a song and then a story and then craft. But they added a bit of a twist. This story time wouldn't just feature a queen, but also a king. This time I brought in Ryder, a trans king in town. He's a trans man who does uh, male drag. And that was also just to kind of show that hey, it's not just men in dresses. It can also be men in men's clothing that are trans, and it's totally fine. Ryder is kind of a country, biker, lovable dude. (laughs) We tested all of our music and Miss Frida Wales and King Ryder did their practice readings together. We had a plan written out and knew what was coming. Like Miss Frida Wales will go change into her banana costume while King Ryder reads this. King Ryder finishes. Miss Frida Wales comes out in banana costume, sings, <laughs> sings banana phone. And yeah, it we had it locked down because we wanted this program to be flawless. But most of all, we wanted everybody to have the best time they they could at the library. It was like a, the buzz before a major concert or, you know, if Rafi had showed up. By then there was so much buzz and we were... 
we were thrilled just to see the people coming in the door because we thought, well, it could be crickets. You know, we didn't know if it would just be angry people showing up. With the numbers that we had, we had about 150 at the first one. And I'm like, oh, cool. So we'll probably get like maybe 200, 200 would be like a nice number. And first of all, the first thing I see is two protesters outside just by themselves with their two kids on the ground. And I walk in and there's a, I couldn't even get through the crowd. There was almost 300 people there. It was so loaded, the stairs. Upstairs, was, everything was loaded. They had to have screens put out just so that people could even see the book that I'm reading because it was so full of an audience. Yeah, it was overwhelming. I almost cried. I was like, I can't cry. I'm going to wreck my makeup. <laughs> 291 people showed up. They were having private conversations with my staff when they could track us down and just let us know that they really valued what we were doing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm not one to, like, oversell things. Um, but this was just, like, I, if I thought the first drag queen story time was amazing, like, this was a hundred times even more amazing. There were two media outlets there who were also covering the Drag Queen story time. The sound you're hearing now of the event was recorded by the local online video news network, Kelowna Now. We had everybody up and dancing together. Miss Frida Wales did banana phone. Yeah, it was just so empowering and so successful and so uplifting. Super fast. <laughs> and the kudos were definitely appreciated, but seeing the smiles on the families and the kids who attended and the parents and grandparents who were there to support their families, like it was amazing. People did uh, gather out front. Uh, it was a small group with some protest signs. They weren't making much noise. Uh, security asked me if I wanted to uh, remove them from the premises. I said, nope, uh, everyone's welcome at the library. Everyone's entitled to their opinion uh, and perspective. Uh, I didn't see any risk. It was a family at one point with the signs. As I walked by, I made sure to thank them for coming and I uh, hope they enjoyed the day. I surprised the lady, the mom there, because she kind of waved at me first and then realized who I was and kind of pulled back a bit, but <laughs> it was fine. As my mom always said, just kill them with kindness. And by the time everything was said and done, they weren't even there at the end. Yeah, I mean, this program wasn't for them, so they didn't stick around long. And the people that were inside were super excited. I'm, I'm used to all ranges of, of emotion when I'm having conversations in the library because often people are there out of a need or a, a desire for information. And so in some cases when I was asked, hey, can I hug you? And um, this is so exciting for me to be here. And 
you know, when I saw that they had tears because the program for them meant something much more that I couldn't, I couldn't have known. Yeah, there was hugs, there was handshakes, there was uh, a retired school trustee who came up to me and was like, I just need to shake your hand. Um, there were, I think, six library board members and two school trustees. I think they all had a good time and they all saw what it was about. I think that was also part of the education piece. I think a lot of the board hadn't ever experienced a drag event, or let alone a drag queen story time or a drag story time. Among the board trustees who attended the second drag story hour, Loyal Wooldridge. Which was really beneficial because we were able to share that experience with the board for those that couldn't attend it. So by allowing it to go ahead, we were able to see the interaction and the type of programming it was to alleviate any sort of fears or accusations that some folks had. Four days after the second drag story time was held, the library board reconvened. Policy came out with a statement that just said basically that uh, professionals have professional autonomy to decide what programming is appropriate for their communities, and parents equally have the same rights to choose what programming they bring their children to. And then secondly, that it's not the role of the Board of Governance to make decisions about programming in any community. We're there to basically manage governance and policy. And then thirdly was to uh, really review how we manage correspondence moving forward. And then HR also spoke, and they more spoke to sensitivity training and more education that the organization in general, along with the CEO, uh, would need some sensitivity training and, and more more education about minorities that are represented in the libraries. So then basically I went to a vote of that this is the recommendation. Each recommendation had a vote and each of them carried with no opposition. The CEO, uh, Don Nettleton, did send out a, an apology email to, to the staff and supported the fact that he had come to see that he trusts our judgment. And so that, that meant a lot. Don had, to his credit, actually had a conversation with me and said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't realize the languaging I used was this inflammatory and, and it's out of not knowing and not being educated on it. And he humbly accepted the recommendations of the board and he agreed to take to take the training and to, to move forward in a different way. So he was more than open to take that training. It's uncomfortable when you're the CEO of an organization and you have a bunch of angry people writing you letters and telling you to do something. You do need to bring forward concerns to the board, but it was the way in which it was done that was the challenge. And, and words, obviously, language creates reality. My treasure was, you know, some 35 letters that I kind of kept on my desk to keep me going from my peers throughout the library world. I have one. I still keep this one on my desk. We had really been weighed down by the naysayers or the people who were not interested in this program happening. And this email came in and I cried reading it at work. So here we go. I'll try not to cry this time. Hello. Thank you for hosting Storytime with a Drag Queen. When my mom was a single mom, Taking us kids to story time at the library was the most anticipated event in our lives. We didn't have much money, but I didn't know it at the time, because with enough books, you are rich. This sparked my imagination and inspired me to write and perform my own plays. 
the library was a place of wonder and imagination. As a dark-skinned kid, I felt included when the librarians wore costumes or used puppets that were red, blue, purple, glitter. There wasn't a lot of representation for me back then, so seeing that you could be smart, funny, wise, entertaining, no matter what you look like, gave me the confidence. I bet there's a kid today who needs to know that too. A good story is a good story, no matter what you wear when you're reading it. In June of this year, the British Columbia Library Association honoured Ashley and Chris with an award. The award uh, for Champion of Intellectual Freedom is one that I've often um, noted when they announce a winner at uh, library conferences on the coast. Ashley and Chris were being recognized by their peers for their work on the Drag Storytime initiative. Uh, I was shocked. It's funny because I was like, well, you know, that was just our job at the time. Like, I don't under understand for a moment. Like, oh, why do I need an award? Or what, what am I getting an award for? Like, that was just what we were doing and that was just what we had to do. But the award kind of capped it off because it just said, hey, uh, we recognize what you're doing up there in the Okanagan. It's good stuff. And the power of personal choice is part of intellectual freedom. So good on you for giving that access to your community. We do really professionally take our oath. It's not really an oath, but, you know, to provide that information and intellectual freedom to everybody. I think it really woke up the Okanagan Regional Library staff and librarians to protect that. Footnotes have no place in fairy tales. But like we said off the top, this isn't exactly a fairy tale. So, a footnote. That oath, it's reflected in the board's policy, too. It has been for at least 35 years. You can read it right there on the ORL website, under the heading Vision and Values, in a single paragraph that reads that one function of the Okanagan Regional Library is to provide, provide a, place a place where inquiring minds may encounter the original, sometimes unorthodox, and, and critical, critical ideas. ideas so necessary as correctives and stimulants in a society that depends for its survival on free competition of ideas. And this was amended on February 14th, 1985. Yeah, it's um, pertinent that it was written on February 14th. It's like a love letter to what we believe in as librarians uh, in many ways. <laughs> Spread the love. That doc was produced by Kevin Ball. It was edited by Allison Cook, Jennifer Warren, and me, A.C. Rowe. You can see photos of Frida Wales wearing her unicorn dress and bright blue wig on our website. We're at cbc.ca slash docproject. The letters and emails in today's story were read by Craig Dessen, Christopher Dorado, John McGill, Alana Weitzman, and the Doc Project team. Don Nettleton's memo was read by Greg Kelly. Thanks to Jillian Carpick for supplying the audio of the first Drag Queen Storytime and Kent Molgat of Kelowna Now for audio of the second. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Julia Poggle, Tanera McLean, Mark Apollonio, Sherry Okeke, and me. Althea Manasson is our digital producer. Our senior producer is Jennifer Warren, and our executive producer is Joan Melanson. And a Doc Project family announcement. 
This was Kevin's last doc with us for a while because he is off and away on pat leave. Baby and parents are all doing fine. Congratulations, Kevin, and your new little family. Okay, that's all for us. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.